If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And along with that, we will also be reading, of course, our key verse, John 3.16. If you would like to stand, you can. If you cannot stand, that is okay and understood. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 2 Timothy 1.6-14, For this reason I remind you to plant into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. When we went to Hawaii, we really didn't have any specific plans for what we were going to do other than a couple of little things that we wanted to see. But most of what our journey was about was being there and being in the quiet. And so the very first full day that we were there, we went on an adventure that we would later find out wasn't necessarily one we should have gone on. Uh, As it turns out, there's a... um, We had kind of thought, well, it would be really fun to drive as far around Maui as we possibly can. We'd like to drive around the entire island. (coughs) What we didn't know was that uh, there are lots of places on Maui that aren't very well maintained. And many of the roads are curvy with one-lane bridges and really narrow places. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can get into a lot of trouble. Well, in our ignorance, we drove around the one side of Maui that is um, not commonly driven. It was a very unusual road for anyone to go down. And uh, later, we we didn't know that initially. We drove through it. I was only a little panicked at the very end when I thought the road might just suddenly abruptly end because it didn't seem like there was a lot of road there. 
but when we got back and we after we had done it it was a beautiful drive there were lots of it was lots of really gorgeous scenery uh, we saw the ocean like you would come around a curve and all you could see was the ocean you couldn't even really see the road because you know the sun was in your eyes and it was fun and in any case so as we drove around this part we uh, we saw a lot of different things we got to different uh, we, we went through different little uh, one-lane bridges there was one that was wooden that was really really narrow that if there had been another car coming it would have been very very difficult but we made it all the way through and then when we got done we found out from other people they're like whoa I've lived here all my life I've never driven on those roads we were like wow that's pretty that's pretty impressive and then we looked through some of the papers that we gotten with our uh, rental car and there's a there's like a map of the whole island they had like this little magazine and on there there's a little section through the part where we drove that says this road may void your rental contract <laughs> fortunately for us we didn't break down we didn't void our rental contract but it was a very uh it was a very interesting experience what's really interesting about it is that on the other side of the island on the east side there's also a stretch of road that actually says this will void your rental contract if you drive on it there's another stretch which we found before we drove on it thankfully but as we were driving there's actually a section before that that's also curvy one lane roads narrow one lane bridges that's called the road to hana and it's a longer stretch it's about 66 miles it takes about three hours to drive 66 miles because you're going somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 miles an hour at the most and you're driving around curvy spaces but on this side there are um, there are guides, there are tours, people go on this road all the time. So it's a very different experience, even though the road is longer and presumably more curvy. Um, there's like 600 curves and 59 bridges as you're going over on this side. But what was interesting about the two different experiences was that on one hand, we had no idea what was coming up. We didn't know what was going to be around the next curve. And like I said, my very real fear was that somewhere the road was going to just abruptly end and we were going to have to turn around and go back through all of that again. But what it actually turned out to be was that that road was passable. We got through it. But on the other side... There was this road that was also curvy and one-lane bridges, but there were lots of little stops along the way. There were places where people had marked out because this had become kind of a touristy thing where you would go along this road and you would come to a different place and, oh, here's some waterfalls that someone found and you can go and hike back into the space and find that. And here's a road stand where you can stop and get banana bread which is amazing banana bread, let me just tell you. But all of these things were really carefully mapped out. You could find 
all the places that were interesting to stop on that side of the island. So the biggest difference between the two things was one was completely unknown. You had no idea what was going to happen. And on the other side, you kind of had a general sense of what was going to happen. Now, there were some very interesting moments where you come around a curve and the car that's coming doesn't really want to move over. And so you're kind of pushed up into a mountain. That was kind of fun. But for the most part, on the road to Hana, you knew what was coming. You knew where you were going. You knew what was going to be ahead. On the other side, you had no idea. And you might be going, well, what in the world does all of that have to do with 2 Timothy? Well, a couple of different things. Paul has spent his whole life immersed in understanding all of the things that are pointing to the coming Messiah. He understands everything there is to know about all of the Jewish law. He has spent his whole life immersed in it. And then Jesus kind of came up to him and said, "Um, I hate to break it to you, but you kind of got this all wrong. And so Paul turned his life around and he changed direction. And then he comes to these various places and starts churches, and he's got all of these things kind of happening all at once. So he's bringing, um, he's met Silas and Barnabas and John Mark and Luke and Timothy. And Timothy is like his son. Timothy is a young man that he met as he was going through his missionary travels. And Timothy is a young man who didn't have the same kind of education and understanding. And so Paul is teaching him all the ways that the law and the prophets have pointed to Jesus now that Paul understands them himself. So Paul was like us on the one side of Maui, kind of going around the curves. He he knew a little bit about where it was going because he knew the general direction he was headed. But as he went around the curves, he didn't know exactly what was going to be up ahead. And then he transitions to this road to Hana where he can see all of the sign pointers now because he has understood what he learned before, how it applies And he's showing all of this now to Timothy. He's been teaching Timothy for years. And Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Timothy is is coming back and forth to Paul when Paul is in various places. But this is going to be the very last letter that Paul writes before he is executed by Nero. Paul is writing this letter and he tells Timothy, look, I know that I am not long for this world, but I want you to know that I have given you all the information you need. I have told you all the things that you need to know in order to be a powerful witness. And not only that, but you have the spirit of God in you that is not a spirit of fear and timidity, but is a spirit of power, love, and discipline. And so Paul tells him, look, you can do this. And Timothy, who has 
learned everything he knows from Paul. He's also been following Jesus, of course, and has been living as a pastor and has been doing all of the things. Has to be thinking to himself, what am I going to do when my mentor leaves me? When I no longer have this person who can get me through. And by the way, also feeling a little bit discouraged by the fact that his mentor is pretty much assured of dying soon. But Paul tells him, look, you don't have to worry about me because I can tell you that we know what happens. We know that Jesus has promised eternal life. We know that Jesus has told us that these things are going to happen. And we know that when God has promised to be faithful, he is. One of my favorite passages in 2 Timothy isn't the one I'm preaching on today, although there are quite a few. I really love that section that says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he will guard that which I have entrusted to him against that day. There's actually a song, a hymn, uh, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's one of my favorite hymns because it's very fast-paced and I really like the, the tune. But if you think about that, what that's saying is, is that we can trust God with whatever is coming next. Because we've committed to following him. And because we've committed to following God, we know that God knows where the road ends. We also know that we can see all of the things that are marking the way. But the second passage that is one of my favorites in 2 Timothy is this one. When Paul is explaining to Timothy that he doesn't have to worry about what happens next, one of the things he says to him is this. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. That's an amazing promise. God will always remain faithful because it is in his very nature to be faithful. Who God is, is faithfulness. Therefore, God cannot be unfaithful because it isn't possible for his character to do that. That's an incredible promise. When we are faced with not knowing what's going to come next, with seeing a wooden bridge that we have to drive an SUV across, that we don't know if anybody else has ever driven across. We can trust that the faithful God who has brought us to this point will continue to be faithful. 
the bridge collapses, if the bridge holds up. Either way, the faithfulness of God holds true. Paul has told Timothy that he does not have to be timid, that he can be bold. And it's not the first time that God's people have been called to be bold. In Acts, when Peter and John are told to stop preaching the gospel, they actually call all of the people together and they say, look, we've been told to stop talking about Jesus, and we're not going to do that. But we need to pray for boldness. And when they pray for boldness, the Holy Spirit shakes the place where they are. Because the Holy Spirit knows that praying for boldness impacts what you do. When you are bold, you speak out when you see injustice. When you are bold, you speak out when you see things that you know are wrong. And we know that we do not necessarily have the ability to be bold on our own, but we can be bold based on the Spirit of God that is in us. These are the things that Paul is just continuously reminding Timothy of before he goes to his own death. And even as he does, he is not thinking of himself. As he is sitting chained in a prison cell, his thoughts are not about what's going to happen to him. Instead, his thoughts are entirely about what is going to happen to the church, what is going to happen with the people who are left behind, and how can he encourage them and strengthen them to continue moving the message forward. Paul's final letter here is not a letter that is discouraging or sad, but it is one that is empowering and emboldening. It is pulling us forward. He writes it to Timothy, but in a lot of ways, he writes it to us. He knows that whatever happens after he is gone is going to take all kinds of twists and turns that he could not imagine. He already knows that the things that he thought were going to happen aren't happening the way that he thought they would. And so all of the things that he could predict, he can't predict any longer. But what he can see, what he does know, is that at the end of the road, there is hope. And that is what we are driving for. I'll ask you to pull out your blue sheets at this time. And we'll go through our normal conclusion. As we as we go through this, I just want you to think that God loves you. And so where we say us in this recitation as we go through it, I think it's important for us to think our own names, to remember that this doesn't just apply to us 
collectively. It doesn't just apply to the world at large, but it applies to us individually as well. God loved Joyce enough to create Joyce, to form Joyce from the dust. God loved Amy enough to let Amy fail, to let Amy choose her own way over God's, to let her chain herself to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved Barb enough to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved Tom enough to show Tom mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding Tom of the promise of redemption. God loved Shelby enough to show Shelby how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved Jesse enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved Orion enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loved Sophia enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower Sophia to live like Jesus. God loved Joyce enough to want Joyce to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved Amy enough to still let Amy choose her own destiny. God loved Barb enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved Tom enough. God loves Orion enough. God loves Shelby. God will always love Shelby enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to all of us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, Know you are loved. You are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.